Hello, listeners. We've got an exciting episode for you today. I'm pumped about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about understanding immersive learning in the classroom and how to, to really get students into the content and into the learning. Uh, so, Stephanie, how are you seeing this uh, happening up there in Ohio? Um, I would say it's kind of new to Ohio, I would say within like the last year or so. Um, but some of the ways that we are using it is we're starting kind of with the merge cubes to make that, you know, the 3D image. And um, so at our high schools, we have these Z-space um, equipment and the students can actually go in and do different labs with like the human body and different animals to dissect them. And it's kind of cool because then you don't have that smell that the animals bring from when I was in school <laughs> and you don't have as many sick students and you can really see it alive and kind of in action. And if you mess up, it's totally okay um, because you're not actually harming anything at all. Um, so that's kind of been really cool that we've been doing in our district. Um, but I know it's becoming more popular when I go to conferences, just more different activities are coming out and it's like at ISTE last year, I think there was so many different things that I saw that I was just shocked that it even existed. So Lance, how are you seeing it in your district? Well, so, so you're saying that no animals were harmed in the making of this video, first off, correct? <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct. So, uh, so first off, uh, in our district, we, we started with emerge cubes like you, you were talking about. Uh, and that's really taken off because we have some, some older iPod touches and things like that that we can use with the merge cubes that really bring the, the students into the learning. And Mr. Body has always it's been one of our favorites, you know, clicking on things and really engaging in the learning there. Uh, we've really started using the Lenovo Daydream headsets. Uh, I've, I've introduced that to uh, some of our schools, and, and they've really taken off and ran with it. So at first, you know, it was just the VR um, you know, the AR, the VR, uh, watching some YouTube 360 videos, things like that. But now they are starting to get into creating content. So we're using uh, a 360 camera, and I forget which 360 camera it is right now. I'll try to get it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Uh, but they're actually walking around the school and taking pictures of, of different things and doing videos of students. So when a, when a parent comes to school and they want to actually walk through the school, they'll actually have them do a VR experience first. And they can walk around to each classroom and they can click on the classroom and it'll play a video of that. We started off doing it with uh, HP Reveal. I don't know if you're familiar with HP Reveal, Stephanie, but um, they, they're going away for whatever reason or we can't find it anymore. And that's really, that's been bad for us because we had so much content that we had on there uh, and the and the kids really loved. It. I mean, you go up and you would scan the picture of the of the course room, uh, or the 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 logo of the course room, and it would have the course start singing right there on on your device for you. And the parents really loved it because it's like, man, these are my kids. Uh, and that's that went away. But that that's kind of a few of the things that, that we've we started doing. We've talked about also. You know, as our listeners know, I work in the virtual world also where we have uh, 22 classes online that we offer. But we're starting to look at maybe offering a, uh, a welding class online or an auto mechanics class online. And we found some really cool uh, augmented reality uh, VR devices that we can use uh, to help students learn how to weld. And we don't have to waste all this product. Uh, we're looking at, at a few ways of how we can do it with auto mechanics. We haven't got there yet, but we're looking into that. So that's kind of how 
we're doing it here in Tennessee. So we're going to go ahead and bring on our expert. Um, when Lance found out that we had this um, guest on, he emailed me and said, man, this guy is an expert and a genius. And why did we not know about him before? And so we'll kind of figure out why we didn't know about this guy before. Yeah, so we got Eric uh, Hawkinson that's going to be joining us today all the way from Japan. He was in the innovative class, uh, Japan 19. Uh, he is the president and research coordinator of Mavers, which I'll let him tell you what that is there in a minute. He's also a college professor talking about technology, tourism, uh, technology and tourism and ed tech. So thanks for joining us today, Eric. Uh, talk to us about your product or project and just talk to us about what you're doing over there in Japan. Well, good morning from Japan, Lance and Stephanie. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's wonderful to hear all the stuff that you guys are doing in, uh, in your areas with AR and VR. It sounds very indicative of what's happening pretty much all around the world. People are teachers and classrooms are just starting to get their feet wet in immersive worlds and using immersive technology for various learning contexts. And that's what I, what we're doing here in Japan. Um, my name's Eric, I originally from the States. I grew up in Arizona and been in Japan for about 15 years. Most, uh, before I came to Japan, I was in IT working for Microsoft for a while. I became a teacher when I came to Japan and both of those worlds combined, right? So now I'm um, in the ed tech space, right? So doing a lot of work in the last, between five and 10 years, mainly focused in augmented and virtual learning environments. <clears throat> so about oh, three, four years ago, we started a research group, which I was asked to head up called the Mixed Augmented and Virtual Realities of Learning. It's too long, so we call ourselves Mavers. Um, it's mostly a group of higher ed teachers, mostly in language learning. We do have some developers in, in indie game developers in our group as well, some techie type people making new um, apps and software platforms around this space. But mainly we're just um, experimenting and trying to under better understand, do some research around these technologies for learning and teaching costs. A whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of different stuff in our group. Uh, right now we're about 50 people in our group from uh, using this for special education, like, um, for example, in, for dyslexia and autism, for academic writing, use, informing um, people, giving empathy to, to inform at the academic writing process when you can't have these experiences in real life, to stuff that I'm working in, and vocational training for things like training tour guides in other languages, which you can't easily do in a place like Japan where you don't have a lot of face-to-face um, -face contact with lots of other cultures. I'd like to say a couple of things that you guys just brought up, right? So uh, Lance talked about the Lenovo Daydream and HP Reveal, which are uh, the Lenovo Daydream as a headset and Daydream as a platform by Google and HP Reveal is a an application, smartphone application, augmented reality smartphone application, which used to be called Arasma, which is also going away. And actually the Daydream platform by Google is also leaving us. They are sunsetting that whole uh, platform as well. And starting in this space, um, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I had <laughs> 
same frustrations in the space. I, I won a, um, a grant from the Ministry of Education in Japan to create some augmented reality for language learning materials. And I contacted a company that was based in Germany that was one of the best at the time. And I won my grant and I went back to them and they went dark. <laughs> <laughs> Apple bought the company and they made all, everybody sign NDAs and I was pretty much screwed. And that and their competitor, knowing that their comp their competitor went out of business, up their prices, and so I started developing stuff on my own. I really didn't have any wish or inclination of becoming a software developer, but that whole process, and it's still happening today, like with the HP reveal and the Daydream, it's just moving so fast. Companies are trying to find new footholds, new business models uh, to profit off the, these technologies so it's it's coming and going so fast so i developed i started developing my own platform uh really trying to design something that allows teachers and students and non-technical types to create augmented reality environments without any coding without any experience and google was a great place to bootstrap a lot of that stuff so now I have this project, my passion project called orientation. So orientation without just replace the O with an A. So orientation. So you can find all that at orientation.com. And all it is is um, a set of playing cards, a special set of playing cards. You can play poker with them. Um, you could do any set of playing cards. You, you don't even need the augmented version of them to use them in some way, but it just connects it to an app which then connects the app to the Google API services. So you can go out and fill out a Google form, which everybody knows how to do. And that Google form then connects digital contents to those playing cards. So filling out a simple Google form saying, card one, I want to connect to a YouTube video, card two, I want to connect to a website, card three, I want to play some audio, uh, show a 3D model. It's kind of smart in that way. And so within seconds, you can connect any digital contents without any coding or special um, software right through Google. And so that's starting to take off and I've been doing projects pretty much all around the world. And that's one of the reasons I was probably picked to be a part of the um, Japan, first Japan cohort in the innovators space that happened last August. Oh yeah, I'm looking through uh, your apps and your extensions that you got here with your orientation. Do you do you think we're ever going to get to a place to where we're going to have a couple of maybe? I mean, I mean, AR and VR is growing so fast. Do you think we're ever going to get to a place where we have a hub for that a couple of vendors, maybe in an Adobe uh, and maybe in a Google or an Apple? Well, all of hubs? those, yeah, all of those companies already have have been trying to make their own kind of platforms for using AR and VR, but uh, most of them are having their walled garden type of business model, right? So um, the most popular headset, VR headset for classrooms outside of Google Cardboard right now is the Oculus stuff, which is uh, like an Oculus Quest or Oculus Go. But um, the Mavers have done extensive research on using them in classrooms and they haven't been very effective and they've been very frustrating for teachers because they're connected to Facebook and they're really made in the business model of individual consumer products, almost like an iPad. So you buy, you're locked into your own app store 
and that device is locked into a, a Facebook account. And that could be very restricting for teachers. But um, th you're talking about the overall openness of this, right? So if you, a lot of teachers and uh, researchers are very optimistic about web AR and web VR. So you take the platform out of it and you open source it and put it on the web. So now you probably, one of the things that you've, everybody's done VR and probably hasn't even realized it with Google Street View, right? So if it, you can just go on and look at a flat screen and you can tour the world, basically. You can do that in a headset too, but that's all web-based stuff. And now we're starting to, a lot of efforts have been going into trying to make that more robust and more um, appealing to learning and teaching contests. So contexts. So you can go online, just go to a website, and then have that website be seen through a viewer, like a Oculus Go or a Google uh, Cardboard. And you don't need any extra special software or anything like that. It's just open source and available freely on the on the web. And that's what's really exciting for teaching and learning, I think. Um, I'm curious, like, how you use this with students with disabilities. So how, like, you know, you talked about dyslexia. So how did you um, use this to help those students, the, the subgroups? Um, well, that's stuff um, by our research group. So a lot of that stuff that I mentioned up at the top isn't me personally, but somebody in our research group. So um, we have s at least one person in our group doing it using this for autism. And I don't re recall actually for dyslexia, but I there is some research that has been done for dyslexia, right? So um, if you can be put in a virtual environment and slowly change that over time, you can show what, you can actually simulate what you might see and how your brain processes visual information a little bit better. And you can actually track eye movement and track head movement. And you could take that data and start to try and train and reprogram people's brains and how they read, how they look at things in certain ways. So you could, it's like a whole new uh, dimension to uh, training for with disabilities. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, it would make them more comfortable going out into the public or having conversations with people when they have this practice. Right. Well, like with the autism stuff, it's about um, <clears throat> training your attention. So when you start to not concentrate on certain things, you're, you might look away or you might look down or you become disengaged. And so that's easily tracked. And then it, you can build in things into the software to either give you a break or bring you back and focus on certain things. So it really helps people that, that have lack of focus or you can train it to people that have lack of focus. There's a very, there's a point to this though that been really trying to speak about when I go and speak about these, this technology to people that are just getting their feet wet is that all has possible dangerous implications as well. Um, because we can track your eyes, we can track your head movement, we can, we can see all what you're doing and what you're looking at. That has a lot of possible dangers and side effects as far as privacy, evasion, as far as data collection, as far as being able to profile people psychologically. So that's one of the reasons why I'm very disturbed with Oculus is because we're putting these into classrooms and a lot of times this, this data is connected with Facebook. Facebook owns Oculus and they are 
they just announced last week that they're even further integrating Oculus data into Facebook. So if you have a profile online, now that you, you know what you're looking at, for, for example, you, you put yourself in a 3D environment online and it's got head tracking and eye tracking and motion tracking, um, you can now start to profile a person of what they're looking at, um, their psychological tendencies, um, their uh, way of thinking, perhaps um, compulsive disorders and things like that. And you can start to target these people with specific content. And it's already happening with ads on regular Facebook, let alone with this extra information that's going in through um, tracking abilities. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, if, if they can, can learn your shopping tendencies and, and things like that and when to throw certain ads up, uh, that's just another sales pitch that, that Facebook can make to other companies and, and be able to, to bring that in. So um, I'd like to shift for a second. I asked you about travel because I, I know that you're big in tourists and things like that. Um, do you think that we're ever going to get to the day, and maybe we're already there and I'm just ignorant and not know it, <laughs> that we're going to get back to the, to the Google Glass day of where I'm in Japan, I can't speak the language, there's signs that I can't read, but through my glasses, it's going to auto-translate that for me, and when people speak to me, I'm going to have a headset on, and it's going to translate that into the language for me. So it doesn't matter where I go in the world, it's all in English for me. We're almost there already. I would say between five and ten years, and we're, we'll be there. There's already a lot of stuff that's out available, even commercially, for that kind of thing. Um, I've been calling it the phone on the face era that we're approaching. Um, a lot of stuff that's happening now in immersive technology is called mobile augmented reality or mobile virtual reality, which means it's connected through your phone. You put your phone into a Google Cardboard or you look through your camera at a device like you were talking about, like the Merge Cube, and that augments that physical thing in some way. But um, Google Glass is coming back uh, already for enterprise. Um, and there's the HoloLens 2 is already out for Microsoft. And uh, there's, some, there's a company called Magic Leap that got more funding than almost any other company ever for seed funding, billions of dollars. And they have a headset that you can buy as well. They're, they're expensive. They have uh, inside out tracking, which means they have tons of cameras pointing out which is another reason why these are um, issues that we have to overcome as far as privacy, right? So that's one of the reasons we had problems with Google Glass, right? I mean, you have to have a, a reasonable expectation of privacy if someone has a camera on their face and they walk into a restroom, there's obvious issues there, but <clears throat> we're already there. Uh, we're already, we have um, automatic translation and we already have uh, text and image recognition through, um, artificial intelligence. So a lot of what you just described is already available. It's just not um, to the point where it's um, ubiquitous and it's coming. It's going to, you won't wake up one day, one morning and then it's already here. It's going to slowly happen over the next five to 10 years and you'll have one, you'll have something like it. And what does that mean for learning? Now, I've been, we've been asking a lot of these questions. So for example, in the mobile era, you, we don't remember phone numbers as much and other things. We, and so if you have a phone on your face and it has face recognition on it and it remembers the names of your pe people, your, your acquaintances and puts an overlay of their name above people's faces, 
Are we going to be lost without our phone on the face because we won't remember people's names because it got remembered for us? So we're going to we're going to slowly start being more dependent. Um, a lot of our brain functions are going to become more dependent on these devices than even they are now. A lot of the things that are we find in the mobile world are going to be exacerbated in the virtual immersive type situation that we're moving into. Yeah, they're they're kind of. I, I need to change my meme, Stephanie, because. Uh, I, I, I recall in uh, in middle school and high school, the teachers always saying, "We're not going to have a calculator everywhere you go." And, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Now, now, now we're going to have a computer with us everywhere we go. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, my mom used to say, "There's never going to be a magic box with all the answers," and we have Google. So, but my da- <laughs> my my danger is um, is the the importance of questions. So. In the mobile era, we at least have to get out our phone and do a query. We have to search something. But in this era, we have the danger of getting answers to questions we haven't asked yet. And that means a lot of serious things for teaching and learning. So I I always give the example of the botanist going for a hike. You go out and you find a, a, a very interesting looking flower. You have to ask yourself a series of questions, even though you could do a quirk even though you have internet access you still have to search for certain things like where's what's the weather been like lately where am i am on the planet how many petals are here what's what's the season um what's the climate been like in this area etc etc but even now with mobile augmented reality you can take a picture of that flower upload it and compare it to millions of other flowers instantaneously and get an answer right away so there's a lot of that query that goes away so now we have a phone on the face We've been training it. We've been looking at flowers and looking at looking up what they are for the past hour or two. So now our phone on the face knows we want to know the names of all the flowers. And now all the names of all the species of the flowers are appearing before our eyes. We're not really thinking about any of those things that go into how that information gets curated and processed to us in a more heavy fashion. And so does it, that frees our brain up to do a lot of other things, but maybe you're not a botanist and you just want to compare the, the, the species of flowers in the areas. But if you are a botanist, you really want to um, find those interesting case uses where those questions might lead to other discoveries in, in teaching and learning. So that's one of the things that I find both interesting. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. It could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. Um, so we're going to go to our next section, which is the quote and meme. So Eric, what quote or meme did you bring for this week? Um, my meme is blank <laughs> because um, we saw the shutdown of the internet in Iran last month and teaching classes. I have some students from Iran in some of my classes I'm from all over the world. And I try to have them imagine what it would be like if your country shut down their connection to the world through the internet. And so the meme is kind of symbolically not represented because what if you can't get all your memes or get your memes out? There's a huge um, range of consequences for not being connected to the world. And like we were just talking about before and not having the phone on the face era, your internet connection is gonna become so much more important. Like we already stress out with no Wi-Fi, no battery we're going to be lost without our phone on the face moving into the future. So Iran's internet shut down and what that means for, um, for us and for students is my yeah. Um, so mine is when your phone has no signals and you go all Lion King on it, 
And yes, I didn't know this movie, Lance, even though it told me in the meme. <laughs> but um, it, it has Simba, you know, up in the air. And trying to find cell service is going to be huge if we're going to be um, exploring these options. I know when I was in Sydney, Australia for the Google Innovator Academy, I needed my phone charged to get around or to find an Uber or when we went on our hike and we almost got lost. And so making sure you had service um, was very important. So that's going to be huge for the future indeed. <laughs> yeah, I forget who was leading that hike. Um, I think Kevin. Oh, okay. We'll throw Kevin <laughs> under the bus here. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and, and mine I've got is, uh, it says, not sure if this is reality or virtual reality. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that we'll ever get here, Eric, but, you know, I think back to the uh, the Matrix days and things like that. Can we ever get plugged in so much that we can't tell the difference in reality and virtual reality? So that's one of my fears that, that could happen. I think we're almost already there. I mean, just to think something like Facebook, we're already getting our reality reflected back to us with, through the algorithms that feed us stuff that we want to see. And so we're already kind of creating our own realities in a certain way. We're already projecting our best selves on Instagram and Facebook and creating our own truths to how we want to be seen in the world. And so now we can start to filter things out on the fly with this phone on the face era. So like we don't want to see, um, I don't know, a certain kind of language uh, we can you know, change that automatically and have it translated. We don't want to know about certain types of things where we have certain beliefs or ideals that are connected to our culture or our community. We can have those things changed for us automatically on the fly as, as, as we look at them. So, um, is already kind of creeping in onto us in certain ways. Yeah. And so we're going to go to our final section, which is something that I learned this week that we could use tomorrow. So Eric, what's something that you learned this week? or thought about this week? Well, this week I learned a new case use for my own app. Uh, I did a project with a group of students in South Korea. You know, they were um, K-12 school that I partnered with there. Um, they are were using augmented reality to um, share stories about something they'd like to do before they graduate. And so they would share these testimonials and then write a very short, brief sentence about something they'd like to accomplish and then connected these video testimonials to these playing cards that I described earlier and then stuck them up on a wall. And so then you have this kind of community shared art space it becomes. If you watch a lot of TED Talks, there's a TED Talk called Before I Die by Candy Chang from New Orleans where she just creates public art spaces out of sides of abandoned houses in New Orleans. So this was kind of like inspired from that. So there's a big wall on campus where students are connecting their wishes and hopes and dreams of something they'd like to do before they leave the school. And teachers and other students see these messages and they want to know a little bit more about that, that goal or that dream or maybe it's similar to theirs. They see a video testimonial and then the app allows them to communicate directly with that person, maybe share their stories or support each other in some way. So it's just kind of like a new nice case use of augmented reality that we kind of stumbled upon together. And so mine is on Google Sheets, there's not a voice typing like in Google Docs and um, where you can 
use it for voice typing, which I've been using a lot with having AJ around because my hands are tied up trying to feed this little newborn. Right. Um, so I think this extension, it's called voice and voice typing. It works on Google Sheets. Um, so I thought that was really cool because it's something that I've been using a lot lately because my hands are kind of tied. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, uh, I got a video that I've uh, shared in here. This was at the Adobe Max uh, conference. I don't know if any of you guys got to watch that, but they had a huge VR session there. And this is kind of a video of the future life of our students and what they foresee it being. So I felt like that I would, I'd share it here for you guys. So enjoy that. All right, thank you. All right, thank you so much for listening to Get Inspired and Innovate. If you want to check out the show notes, they are on the website. Eric, how can people connect with you? Um, I, I have an innovator project. If, if, if Most of the audience, I think, is innovators, right? So um, we, from August, I started uh, collecting and creating a database of hometown tours in VR. So you can go to foreverkyoto.com, foreverkyoto, one word, dot com. And you can contribute by uploading a 360 photo of your classroom if you're a teacher. Or if you're a student, you can upload a link to a hometown tour. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to create a database of personal stories for tourism. And so I want to create a tour to let students kind of travel around and see what it's like to be a student all around the world for teachers. And then I also want to create a database for everyone of what's the personal stories happening in your hometown and be able to kind of travel around virtually to different places. That's foreverkyoto.com. If you want to know about me and my projects, it's Eric Hawkinson, my name, no spaces, erichawkinson.com. It's a VR optimized site with all my projects and research. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Um,